Till Death Do Us Part is a satirical true crime podcast hosted by a dysfunctional married couple who discuss other dysfunctional relationships. If you can't handle that, don't go away mad. Just go away. Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. I apologize, co-host, if all you smell right now is tuna, because (laughs) I made a tuna sandwich for dinner, and it squirted up on my shirt. And so all I smell right now is tuna. I didn't want to say anything. (laughs) I didn't want to say that it was like a turnoff. Because, you know. Oh, I probably should have changed because now I'm sitting here and all I smell is tuna fish. It happens. It does happen. Yeah. Well, good thing it's just from my shirt. Well done. I didn't notice it, but now that you mentioned it. <laughs> Can you I smell it? I can't smell anything else <laughs> but bumblebee tuna. All right. Well, Daniel found another review that he wants to read. So take it away, darling. All right, so I got a review here, and it is from Chardonnay Lover. And Mm. she says, I assume it's she, says, nice camaraderie, which is awesome, because now I know how to spell camaraderie. (laughs) Entertaining. About Marriage Encounter, which was mentioned in Candy Podcasts, my ex-husband and I went through this in the (laughs) early 1990s. (laughs) There is not a priest present. We basically listened to several successfully married couples talk about how the Catholic Church and faith has strengthened their marriage. Boring. They also taught us how to communicate via letters to each other. Really? Letters. Have we ever written letters to each other? No, we barely text. Um, It was not in a ballroom but a smaller, more intimate setting. That's kind of creepy, isn't it? (laughs) I hope they all had clothes on. Um, But obviously it did not work for us. I am now divorced from the man I went through it with. I was going to say. Laughing emoji. I was going to say at the beginning, she said her ex-husband. I was thinking, oh, so the marriage encounter didn't work for them either. Marriage encounters doesn't work. Well, not for her, but. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for the review. And I'm glad you found us through the candy episode. And I'm sorry it reminded you of your ex-husband and your encounter. (laughs) Oh, well. What are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah. I just assumed they all had priests present because that was what it said when I was doing my research. But, you know, at least you got to listen to seemingly happy Couples tell you about their wonderful marriage. Amazing. Thank you, Chardonnay. Is that her name, Chardonnay? No, it's Chardonnay Lover. Oh, yes. Chardonnay Lover. Thank you for your review. We really, really appreciate it. It's helping to balance out those one stars. (laughs) Because for one one star review, you have to get 25 star reviews. Something like that. Just to balance it out. It's really stupid. It's okay. Be weird if someone didn't hate us. Yeah, that would be weird. No, it's good. Yeah. It keeps us humble. Yeah, exactly. I get, I get that we're hated by at least one out of every 20 people that listen to us. Oh, that's fine. Just don't listen. Remember? Don't go away mad. 
just go away. Yeah, and hopefully you get a flat tire on the way. <laughs> and you don't know how to change it. <laughs> All right, Daniel, you got some factoids for me? I got something I'm going to read that should make lots of people uncomfortable. Yes. Because that's what we're here for. We're here to deliver discomfort. <laughs> no, that's like not. the gynecologist. <laughs> oh my gosh. Welcome Oops. to Dan's Gynecology. Oh. Where we guarantee to deliver discomfort at least three times a week. <laughs> How often is someone going to a gynecologist's office? You said Dan's Gynecology. Yeah, so but, I'm going to but, Dan's Gynecology. Yeah, but that's okay. But that is that I call that's that too more much. of a marriage encounter. That's too much, man. It's, it's marriage encounter. Okay. <laughs> or you yeah. don't even have to kiss. <laughs> wow. It's too much. You are in a goofy mood. Tonight. I, it's late. It's like nine o'clock. Okay. Well, this will help. You ready? All right. Go. Here's some phrases for you folks. That tea bag was actually better <laughs> the second time around. That's only one. (laughs) Okay. Depends on the tea. No. These are innocent phrases I'm going to read. I swear (laughs) these are all innocent phrases we've all muttered and they don't have anything to do with adult aerobics. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. Ready? You calm? The (laughs) landscapers are here to trim that bush. See, and that is that is why I do my own gardening. Because, because and gynecology work. And gynecology, we save so much money being being doing our own gynecology. And oh God, I'm hot. Gardening. I'm really hot right now. Okay, hold on, okay. hold on. These are all. This is oh, all God. innocent phrases. Yes, my favorite <laughs> animal is definitely the beaver. <laughs> Get through these. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Go. All right. Ready? Yes. Want a bone? (laughs) That's what I say to the dog. Right? She has she has her she has her milk bones and you look at her, you want a bone? And then she wags her tail and you give it to her. See? All innocent phrases. You know, Melissa? What? A pearl necklace would look really nice on you. Do you have pearls? No, no. Oh, because they're expensive. I never buy that for you. We're lower middle class, darling. Yeah, I know. And this is, okay, so everyone has Amazon, Amazons and stuff. Right. right? I was just really surprised by how big his package was. (laughs) Okay, and for summer barbecues. Oh, gosh. I love sausage. I say that on purpose. You do. <laughs> okay. Gosh, I wonder. This is going to be really annoying <clears throat> to people listening. Okay. It is. I wonder what happens to nuts in space. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, Are they sucked a, back up? It's, I don't know. That's a good. Or they just float around. I'm going to Google that. What's that? What happens to nuts I in space? It depends on how big they are. Oh, gosh. Okay. 
All right. Walnuts or peanuts? <laughs> okay. We were only riding for maybe five seconds before we were desperate to get off. <laughs> before my carpal tunnel took over. Exactly. Uh, we were banging all night. <laughs> no. She done construction in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. In an instant. She was dripping wet. <laughs> what? It's hot out. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, gross. Ever since she showed him what to do, he just loves tossing <laughs> salad. <laughs> See, and that's about health. It's it's good to cut. You got to cut back on the carbs oh, instead of maybe just have a salad once in a while. Oh. I get it. Oh, God. All right, here, this one's for you. Oh, great. Um, This is about sandwiches. <laughs> Tuna sandwiches? Yes. I was expecting maybe four inches, but he gave me 12. <laughs> See? Ouch. Because you weren't, you know, you didn't, weren't that hungry. Oh, gosh. The power of the thrust was really <laughs> remarkable. See, and that's about large jet airplanes. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting a headache. He really needs to work on his ball handling. <laughs> I think that's a basketball phrase. Because <laughs> you're such a sporty man. <laughs> well, why does it have to be about me? These are phrases other people make. It doesn't have oh, to be about goodness. us. I tried everything, <laughs> but he just kept slipping out. <laughs> and you know what that means is he's not that interested and he's just going to go outside for a while. No, I'm thinking of holding a um like a squid or something. <laughs> sure. Yeah, actually that's yeah, that's perfect. Oh. I'm sure he's tired. He spent all day on his knees. <laughs> okay, I can relate cuz I did our floors. And all day I was on my knees. <laughs> so many things. So, of course, so many going things. Going through my head. Yeah, construction. Uh, I was surprised by the sheer power of semen. <laughs> Me too. I I really loved that show uh, with Deadliest Catch, right? <laughs> I mean, those guys, seriously, those guys are tough. She took his head in her hands <laughs> and stroked it. sometimes to me <laughs> no like you know we're sitting there and you just gently okay I'll stop he tried everything but just couldn't get in <laughs> I mean it happens you know doors locked oh, I mean gosh. how are you going to get in they're constantly involved in one intercourse or another oh, it's God. difficult to separate them for any length of time <laughs> newlyweds <laughs> How many more of these are there? You ready for the last one? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Did you try blowing? <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. That's oh, something that everyone gosh. should say. Oh, my stomach hurts. I think I just the, did, did honey, about 15 the car, the car won't start. Did you try blowing? <laughs> See, it doesn't matter what it is. You say that? Oh, my gosh. Oh. Oh, gosh. That was good. You're welcome. That was funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have to look over that list again. That was that was good. You're welcome. I like the funny ones. I did just pee a little bit, but I like the funny ones. <laughs> you like the landscaper one. <laughs> I did. 
too. Honey, the landscapers are here to trim that bush. Oh, I wish. <laughs> okay. Hi, everyone. It's Elise from True Crime Cat Lawyer. That's right. I've combined my three favorite things into a podcast. Cats, true crime, and lawyering. Every other Thursday, my co-host Winston and I bring you a new case from the Pacific Northwest. Winston is my sassy sidekick with a mustache who can often be found donning a bow tie. In other words, she's my cat. Winston and I are passionate about true crime and we love doing this podcast. As of this recording, we've released over 30 regular episodes and a few bonus episodes. Our episodes are focused on the victims and sharing their stories, something we take a lot of pride in. We're working hard to produce true crime content in an ethical way. Plus, every quarter, Winston and I donate our ad proceeds and Patreon proceeds to a true crime or animal-related nonprofit organization. If you're from the Pacific Northwest or you just enjoyed true crime, Winston and I would love for you to check out our show. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Good Pods. We hope you'll join us for some true crime in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, Daniel. Are you ready for my case? I God, yeah, <laughs> we got to do something. I really apologize if I laugh in inappropriate spots because now I have the giggles. <sighs> I'm breathe. here to present giggle-worthy <laughs> phrases and useless information for her benefit. Oh, gosh. If you guys get any sort of giggle entertainment out of it, then you've won. Then awesome. That's, <laughs> I don't know. All right. Oh, let me gather myself. Ooh. This is the case of Thomas Tulin III and Elizabeth Lochtefeld. Wow. She went by Beth. Oh, good. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful fall afternoon on the quiet island of Nantucket, Massachusetts, on October 25th, 2004. A Mrs. Barbara Kotalak noticed that the woman renting her cute and quaint cottage next door at 1A Hawthorne Way seemed to still be at home. Earlier in the day, Barbara had run into her neighbor and was told in passing that she was so excited to be picking up her nephew from school at around 1 p.m. But it was now 1, and her car was still in the driveway. Barbara began phoning the woman, but the phone just rang and rang. Thankful to be living in such a small community, the neighbor decided to call the woman's brother to share her concern. The woman's brother called her and still no answer. Knowing that something had to be wrong, she would never miss an opportunity to hang out with her nephew. The brother called the local Nantucket police and asked them to go to his sister's home and do a wellness check. Within three minutes, Two squad cars had pulled up to the cottage. They exited their vehicles and walked up to the front door. Knocking politely, the officers waited for an answer. An answer never came. The officers began walking the perimeter and looking in the windows, hoping to find that the woman had just fallen asleep or maybe she was sitting on her back patio. As one of the officers looked through the window into the living room, he was horrified by what he saw, a woman's body lying in a pool of blood. The officers ran back to the front door and kicked it in, hoping to find the woman unconscious but alive. 
As they moved in closer, they realized very quickly that the woman was not breathing and that she had been stabbed over and over. The officers called for backup and medical personnel. They had located 44-year-old Elizabeth Lochtefeld, and she was dead. Oh, man. Yeah. That is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. This is a rough one. So I'm trying to picture Nantucket. Is it an island? It's an island. Okay. Yes, it's an island. So I'm picturing like an awesome little cottage. Yes. Like it's almost picture perfect. It is. Nantucket is picture perfect. I'll go into it a little bit more too. Like if you retired and you were doing well, and that would be like the perfect picture of happiness is to be in a little cottage in Nantucket. Writing your mystery novel. Yes, absolutely. Uh Okay, all right. Within minutes, the news of Beth's death had begun spreading through the small island town of Nantucket. So do you know where Nantucket is? Do you have any idea where it is? It is... Oh, gosh. Oh, wait, well, I know. Oh, yeah, tell me. I have no idea. Yeah. Nantucket is an island located 30 miles south by ferry from Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts. Okay, never mind. I'm saying Pennsylvania. Yeah, Massachusetts. The island is almost 48 square miles. Bakersfield is roughly 151 square miles. Oh, okay. So it's not very big. No, it's a tiny little yeah. island. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you for comparison. In 2004, when this attack took place, Nantucket had a population of over 9,600 people. But today it has a population of close to 14,500 people. But during the summer months, the average population rises to over 50,000 people. Ooh. So it's kind of a summer paradise. Nice. Especially for the people on the East Coast. Yeah. When I picture Nantucket, I I actually picture the town in Jaws. Yes. Amity. Amityville. No. Amityville is the haunted house. Amity is the island that Jaws took place. Is that a coincidence? Or that's just, they thought, oh, we'll call it Amity, because it sounds like Amityville. No, I mean, Amityville is a real place. Amityville horror. Yeah, Jaws ate everyone on Amity. Yep. (laughs) Or at least... What I know about Amity is the ride at Universal Studios in L.A. And you do the backlot tour through the, okay, never mind, stop. And actually, Murder, She Wrote, Murder, She Wrote was filmed in the backlot of Universal Studios, where they also have Amity, where Jaws is. Yep. There you go. It's actually kind of cool. It is. It's fun. The average home on the island is $1.4 million. That's not bad. It's I mean, not, if, okay, but well, if you think about it, we though, couldn't this buy is, a place on, Am- on Amity. <laughs> no, not on Amity or Amityville Nantucket. or Nantucket. Um, no, yeah. but if you think about it, I mean, that is a very exclusive island. So actually, a million, million and a half isn't that bad. They also call Nantucket a playground for the rich. And one quote I read said that Nantucket is. Where the millionaires mow the billionaires' lawns. That's interesting. Wow. I like that. Mm -hmm. But we also have a listener who is from Nantucket. And so I kind of picked her brain just a little bit. And she told me they actually very much dislike that everyone thinks that it's this rich little town because it's not. There's a lot of average people who make a living in Nantucket 
and just live regular, normal, everyday lives. But they probably make just enough to hire someone to trim their bush. (laughs) I'll ask her. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. It's important. The close-knit community of Nantucket could not believe that one of their residents, especially Beth Lochtefeld, had been murdered so brutally. The last murder in this town had been 20 years before. Yeah, I would bet. I mean, a beautiful little, awesome, exclusive getaway island community. I can't think that there'd be that much crime. It's one of those towns where you do leave your doors and windows unlocked. Right. I can't imagine living someplace where you can do that. Oh, that would be awesome. It would be cool, but I've never lived in an area like that where you could just leave everything open. If we get enough pit bulls and have a fence, (laughs) we could absolutely leave everything open. Pit bulls get a bad rap. They're not mean dogs. I didn't say they're mean. Okay. Just if you jump in the yard, they'll kill you. (laughs) But other than that, they're sweet. (laughs) Beth's neighbor, Barbara, was the first to be questioned. She told investigators that she had chatted with her earlier in the day after Beth had returned home from running errands. Beth seemed happy and excited about seeing her nephew. But Barbara also told them that while she was gardening, before Beth had even returned from her errands, she saw a red Ford Escape pull onto the dirt road and park further down Hawthorne, a man wearing a long coat and a fedora hat, got out of the driver's side door and walked up to Beth's cottage. The man noticed Barbara and asked her, is she home? Barbara answered that she didn't know, but she never saw the man leave, nor did she ever see him again. Oh, that's weird. That was strange. Yeah. Their next interview was with Beth's brother, who also lived on the island. He was asked who could have done this to Beth. He had only one name. Tom Tulin, Beth's ex-boyfriend. The relationship had only ended a couple days before. After a whirlwind courtship, Tom had asked Beth to marry him, and Beth had not accepted. She told him she needed to think about it. Tom was not happy. She should have told him they needed to do marriage encounter. (laughs) What? Well, I mean, maybe they're Catholic. I don't know. Investigators now had a person of interest. There it is. Beth Lochtefeld was born in Peekskill, New York. She was the third of five children. According to everyone, she and her family were very close. And Beth was just this really cool, sweet, intelligent, bright child and adult. Everybody loved Beth. She had it going on. She did. She had everything going she for her. She did. This girl, See, I would have been friends with her in an instant. What were you going to say? I was going to say, see, why Why do all the like awesome people have to die? I Not know. all. That's ridiculous. This particular one. Yeah, I know. That's sad. I end up saying that a lot. These amazing people. I don't know. The Lochtefelds would vacation in Nantucket for the entire summer. While the kids were growing up. How? They don't have jobs? Well, Beth's dad was an artist and owned an art gallery in town. Oh, So I think they would come to town and he would open up the gallery. Because you got to remember, this little town, this little island comes alive during the summer. Right. So everyone comes and vacations and stays and, 
you know, does everything for a couple months. So he's still kind of working. Yeah. Because he still sells his art and stuff during the summer. See, when I grow up, that's what I should do. I should um, be an artist. Can you draw? No. Oh. (laughs) No, not at all. But um, but but still, I should try. I can do stick figures. Oh, you know, some people spend lots of money on stick figures, right? Mm-hmm. And then we could move to Nantucket. I'm down. Let's go. Beth loved staying in Nantucket and looked forward to it every summer. After graduating from high school, Beth attended Notre Dame University and majored in American Studies. Now, Notre Dame is a Catholic college. Yes. So maybe it is. marriage That's encounter. True. That would, would be, a, be part of that it. That would have been appropriate. Right. What is American studies? Is it history? It, is it studying America? Yeah, it's like history, like American history. What kind of a job do you get with a degree in American studies? You become an American studies professor. You teach at colleges. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I don't Fair know. Yeah. I don't know. A historian? Yeah. Somebody who works in a museum? I want to be a librarian. <laughs> that. Could you be in a librarian? Probably. But only on the American American side of the library. <laughs> After college ended in 1982, Beth took some time and traveled the world. She taught English for a year in Asia and traveled through China and Russia via the Trans-Siberian Railroad. That is so that, cool. That is awesome. This chick is just the coolest. I want to go on the Trans-Siberian. Well, maybe not. Me too. Maybe not right now. Why not right now? Between China and Russia oh. on the tra- <laughs> Trans-Siberian Railroad. Oh, yeah. Probably 1982 was a better we time to go. do that. We may not make it back. <laughs> oh, jeez. Sorry. When Beth was ready to put down her roots, she decided to settle in the Greenwich Village community of Manhattan and start her business called Code New York out of her bedroom. She started a business out of her bedroom. Oh, cool. What kind of business is it? Code New York was an architectural expediting firm. Beth would help local architects and contractors comply and understand the crazy world of New York City building codes. Oh, that is quite lucrative business. That is good. Beth was great at her job. Okay. She was smart, ambitious, confident, and quite the problem solver. Everything you need to learn these codes of New York City, I'm sure. I think if you can survive a trip on the Trans-Siberian Railroad <laughs> from China to Russia, you're ready to take tackle anything. And she was. After almost 20 years and helping to grow the business into a multi-million dollar enterprise, what? Beth sold her shares in 2002. She was ready to focus on finding love and hopefully start a family of her own, eventually moving permanently to the beautiful coastal island of Nantucket in the spring of 2004. But she was not alone. Her parents and one of her brothers had permanently moved to the island as well. Oh. I know. Isn't that cool? Dang, they're taking over. Yeah. And she was, well, when she moved there, when she sold her shares, she was 42. And so when she met her untimely death, unfortunately, she was 44. She was. She was like a young child. And (laughs) what? And she was a a millionaire. I can't imagine being that young. That's our age. Oh, she's a year younger. I can't imagine being. (laughs) She's my age. 
I can't imagine being a millionaire you're at 42. Almost, you're almost 43. Stop. Stop. That Labor Day weekend, a friend on the island called Beth and told her that she was looking at the man that she knew Beth was going to marry. So we're back into what? 2004. Mm-hmm. This is Labor she Day just, of 2004. She just knew. She just knew. All right. It was 37-year-old Manhattan financier Thomas E. Tulin Third. Oh, boy. Wah, wah, wah. Why was he automatically the man she was going to marry? Well, Tom was tall, attractive, and smart. He even knew a lot about the arts, which was really attractive to Beth. So he was kind of an equal to other people's yeah. other people's perspective around them. He seemed like an equal to Beth. So you're saying if he was short, ugly, and dumb, <laughs> not as not as good a chance. He, that actually probably would have been much better for her. I think so. Yeah. Tom was very personable and could carry on a conversation with just about anyone. Tom came from a wealthy New England family, but grew up near Prospect Park in Brooklyn, New York. Tom graduated from Columbia University in 1991. Nice. After graduation, he sold cars for a bit, but then was hired on as a broker at Smith Barney. Ooh. Tom didn't stay at jobs very long, but he always seemed to get hired on in finance, including a short time as a bank executive on Wall Street. Wow. I know. All right. The reason Tom didn't last very long at any one job was because he was an alcoholic and a drug abuser. There, there it is. He liked to party, and he wasn't super embarrassed by his drunken shenanigans. He would tell people that the reason he had been fired from his job was because he had gotten blackout drunk and gotten a fight with his boss. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But he wouldn't, he wouldn't be embarrassed by that. Like, it was like, guess what I did? <laughs> I was so hammered at work or I was so drunk at a work event. Okay. What an, oh God. I want to, I, wanna, I seriously want to avoid him at any cost. I want to chop him in the throat. Wow. I do. Right. I do. Or I want to grab his tiny balls and just twist them. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I want to do that more. Let me let me finish. Yeah. All right. How would his nuts handle in space? <laughs> Not very well. One time in 2001 at an antiques auction, Tom had been drinking and tried to steal an antique bust worth $80,000. He just put it under his coat and tried to walk out. Okay, so when we say an antique bust, I'm picturing a what? <laughs> I just keep going. What are you picturing? Isn't it like a torso, like a top half? No, it was actually um, just a face. It was like a face and then a, bust. And a chest. Yeah, like a chest. Right. Uh -huh. It's yeah. usually women. Yeah, I don't know what this one was. Like, you mean like with boobies? Yes, like boobs and a head. Isn't yeah. that a bust? Isn't that, that's a bust. That's what I picture. But it can also be a, a dude bus too. Okay, but if you're going to spend 80 grand, it better have boobs on it. <laughs> That's all. Do That's you remember all I'm saying. going, oh, do you remember? This is so stupid. But No, I don't. Okay, we'd go into museums and you'd see the statues and all of the women's breastuses on the statues would be a lighter shade. And that's from when you were able to touch them back in the day. People would go rub 
Are you serious? Yes. You're for real. I swear. It was like good luck (laughs) to rub (laughs) rub the boobies. Okay, so so then (laughs) on that note. Okay. Can you explain why the genitals of the male statues were all dark? Because <laughs> nobody ever wanted to touch them. Because everyone touched them but didn't wash their hands? Is that it? Because they're like, I don't Ew, know. Ew, no. No, but I mean, if you're grabbing boobies, right? Because they made all these statues naked, you know, yeah. with appendages and such. Yeah, look at the statue of David. I wonder how many times that wiener was touched. I haven't looked at the statue touched. of David. We saw the statue of David, Daniel. Oh. Because I took a close-up of the penis, of yeah. the weenus. Was it that, because it's small? It's, it doesn't match the size of, <laughs> of David. Well. I mean. It was cold. I mean, David. I mean, think about it. If right. You, I mean, it's made out having, of marble. Right. Yeah. I mean, marble's cold. Of course, it's going to be smaller. Yeah. Totally. They didn't have heating back then. <laughs> okay, well. It seems All right, like we've we, gone way, we, <laughs> way off topic. He Okay, so Tom just put this bust under his coat and gotcha. tried to walk okay. out. Okay, this naked bust. All he right. told the guard that stopped him and said, what the hell are you doing? He told this guy that it was, oh, it's just a practical joke. <laughs> but only Tom was laughing. Yeah, that's so yeah, funny. Yeah, what an idiot, right? I well, like to laugh. He got I, in big trouble. Almost got arrested and everything, but almost got arrested. But I think mommy and daddy helped him out. So mm -hmm. I think mommy and daddy came to the rescue. Why? Yeah, exactly. Why go to your don't come to your bum child's rescue. Mm. Let him fail. All right. Well, here we go. Tom and Beth met officially met on September 4th, 2004 at a swanky Labor Day party. The duo was immediately smitten with one another. The relationship started moving very quickly, the couple alternating between weekends at the cottage in Nantucket and Tom's upscale Manhattan apartment. They were doing life together and seemed to have fallen in love. And this was just after a couple weeks. Dang. Yeah, it was like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, I guess. So obviously she missed the uh, scene with the bust under his shirt. You know, he told her about it, and I think it was more of like a frat guy kind of telling one of his crazy party stories, you know, like back when I was younger. I don't think she got the full full story or the full scope of where this was headed. It obviously was not enough to dissuade her. No, but I I do think it was a little, like, you know, one little red flag that popped up. Mm -hmm. So even after a couple weeks, Tom started looking at engagement rings, and Beth was telling her family and close friends that Tom might be the one. Beth even inviting Tom on a work trip slash vacation out to beautiful and sunny California. Bakersfield? Mm, I think they skipped Bakersfield. Yeah. But during the trip, Tom began to show a totally different side of his personality than what Beth was used to. He was a bit of a frat boy, choosing Mm -hmm. to drink all day and party all night. That was not what Beth was looking for, and she cut the trip short and flew them back to the East Coast. Beth deciding to end the relationship before it went any further. Good job. But Tom was able to finagle his way back into Beth's heart. 
He promised to change and to limit his drinking. According to Beth's brother, though, she had broken up with Tom for good two days before her murder. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So they'd already broken up twice. And the second time was like the final time she was done. Yeah. After processing the crime scene and following the blood evidence, investigators surmised that whoever attacked Beth had been waiting for her inside the cottage. Beth was initially attacked in a little office area off of the bedroom while sitting at her desk. She had managed to run into the bedroom where a large pool of blood had been found on the bed. Somehow Beth had broken free and ran out of the bedroom and down the hallway, leaving a trail of blood and bloody hand streaks on the walls. Oh, jeez. Finally making it to the living room where she was attacked for the last time. Beth's body was examined. She had been stabbed in her back and chest 23 times. Wow. She sustained defensive cuts on both hands, and one of her nostrils had been sliced. Beth had fought hard for her life, and it took a while for her to bleed out and die. So those cuts on her hands were extremely deep, and there were a bunch of them. So Beth was fighting. So she was blocking full yes. like attack strokes from a knife. Exactly. Oh mm-hmm. man. She fought and she ran and she fought and she ran. Ugh. In the bathroom, investigators noticed blood around the sink. The killer must have washed up after the attack. The killer also left love notes and poetry scattered about the living room and had placed a sex toy on Beth and laid a a tube of lube next to her body. The killer had also sprinkled marijuana all over the top of Beth's deceased body. What's with all the stuff? I do know what people think that this was about. Okay. And I'll tell you towards the end. Okay, good. Don't let me forget to tell you that. All right. Remind me to remind you. (laughs) According to Beth's autopsy, she had not been sexually assaulted. But what was the point of the vibrator and lube and marijuana? What would be the point, though, of somebody Uh, doing that to a body? Well, it's some sort of a message because obviously she's dead. So it's whoever finds her, right? Or one final act of embarrassment. I guess. Like to try to embarrass her. Yeah. It's weird, right? But obviously it was placed there by someone else so i don't see how it would embarrass her it would just be weird or maybe it's just that just to make the whole crime scene bizarre it could be but i think it had to do more with trying to embarrass her yeah like sticking it to her one last time wow yeah just awful something struck investigators about their interview with beth's neighbor barbara she had mentioned seeing a man drive up in a red ford escape A Ford Escape was not the kind of car chosen to be driven by locals in Nantucket. The island's inhabitants' taste went towards fancier cars, like Mercedes-Benz, Lexus, and Range Rovers, not Fords. No. Those were cars rented by people visiting the island. Investigators made their way to the local airport. Isn't that smart? Yeah. That was really smart. According to the woman working behind the car rental company's kiosk, a red Ford Escape had been rented and returned that same day. 
but she was not allowed to give out the name of the person on the rental agreement. Her supervisor needed to okay it, but they weren't there. But they she never are. No. But she was able to give the investigators a description of the man who had rented the car. He was tall, white, wearing a business suit, tie, a raincoat, scarf, and an old-fashioned hat. A.K.A. a fedora? Yes. If I started wearing a fedora... Nope. Don't do it. What? <laughs> what? If you started wearing a fedora, what? Sorry, I'm moving my leg because my butt hurts. Sorry if you can hear that. Would that turn you on? No. <laughs> okay. Maybe if you're standing there with nothing else on. You know what? If I got into Mad Men, you know, the TV show Mad Men. Oh, not literally into Mad Men. No. Gotcha. Okay. But I mean, John Hamm, like he's a sexy man in his 40s, right? Just like you. So I don't know who that is. If I okay. start, oh, you don't ever know who anybody no, is. No, because I, I haven't watched Mad Men. <laughs> I haven't either. Oh. But if I did and I really got into it, then the fedora thing would probably be a huge turn on. That was a long way around saying maybe. Possibly yeah. fedora. Okay. So anyway, this dude <laughs> happened to have one on yeah. along with all the other stuff. While waiting for the supervisor to arrive, police began searching the grounds of the airport and searching the Ford Escape. Guess what they found? What? Inside the car, they found blood and a bloody shucking knife with the price tag still on it. What is a shucking knife? It's to open oysters. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, is it shucking oyster? I guess yeah. shucking oyster, yeah. shucking knife. Okay, yeah. fair enough. They also found Beth's wallet in the bushes alongside the entrance to the airport. What? Like somebody just tossed it out the window. Yeah, which still contained her identification card, credit cards, and cash. So she wasn't robbed. Right, yep. Inside the airport, police searched the trash cans. Inside a receptacle, receipts with Tom's name were found. Oh, my gosh. The receipts and paper towels had a dark brownish-red substance splattered and smeared on them. It, it was, was dried blood. Of course it was. Yeah. That matched the blood found in the rental car that matched Beth's DNA. I would say that they have found something. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Fairly important. Within the hour, investigators were given the name on the rental agreement for the Ford Escape. It was a Thomas Tulin. Of course it was. Best ex-boyfriend. He had been in Nantucket that day. According to Flight Manifest, he had arrived on the island on the first flight in from Manhattan and had left on the afternoon flight to Hyannis. Hyannis? <laughs> I'm guessing it's not high anus. <laughs> it is high anus. That's how it's pronounced. <laughs> Say it right. High anus. That's high anus. I like high anus. I do too. <laughs> high anus in Massachusetts. Sorry if anybody <laughs> lives there, but I'm sure many people say in high anus. You know what that you know what that is? What? It's when someone's bent over and you wave at it. <laughs> Hi, anus. How do you spell anus? Oh my gosh. No, seriously, how do you spell anus? Like like butthole. A N 
I-S. Oh, darn it. Okay. <laughs> this is H-Y-A-N-N-I-S. <laughs> yeah, so hi, Annis. Hi, Annis. Yes. Oh, Melissa, you're an idiot. All right. I doubt that. Nantucket police put out an all-points bulletin for Thomas Tulin with a description of him and the car that he had rented at the Hyannis Airport, a gray Chevy Impala. Officers were told to look for the car driving between Cape Cod and New York City. Within minutes of the bulletin, a state trooper in Rhode Island spotted the car. A roadblock was put in place and Tom was pulled over. As Tom was being questioned, an officer spotted open beer bottles in the car, an empty vodka bottle, and a bottle of prescription pills. Just chilling on the seats, just rolling around. Wow. Yeah. Tom was given two breathalyzer tests and failed both. They also found blood-stained clothing in the back seat. Tom was put in handcuffs and arrested for driving while intoxicated and being a fugitive from justice. This all happened within four hours of Beth's body being found. Dang. Only four hours. For a small island town, the Nantucket police really had their stuff together. No good, kidding. Good for them. Because they probably don't get a lot of activity, No, right? they really don't. And, and so for them to just like boom, boom, boom. Right. They yeah. pr- and they probably don't have a lot of officers because it's a small community and right. they never have crime. No, they have Chief Brody. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Chief Brody. That's what they have. And, you know, Chief Brody would have been able to solve this murder as well. Yes. So, I mean, I give it to the Nantucket police. Good job. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm an idiot. What? We kept making fun of hyenas. <laughs> And I said, it's not spelled A-N, uh, whatever you said. And I said, it's A-N-I-S, which is totally wrong. It's A-N-U-S. <laughs> you said, so, you spelled it right, wrong. Wrong, You spelled yes. it wrong. You're supposed to be the smart one. I know, and I just uh, was thinking about that as you're telling me this. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> is that why I didn't have your well, full undivided I attention? <laughs> I pictured it in my head, an anus. <laughs> No, the Who, word. Who's anus? And it's, yeah, and I'm like, that's not anus. Oh, gosh. It's we A-N-U-S. So I apologize for, for a high anus that yeah. we have butchered, butchered your, your name. high anus. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We are such junior hires. Carry on. Oh, man, we're so bad. Junior high book report. Yeah. <laughs> that's a middle school book report. Middle school. Whatever someone said. Tom waived extradition and was taken to Nantucket to await murder charges. On February 10th, 2005, Thomas Tulin was charged with the first-degree murder of Beth Lochtefeld, as well as assault and battery with a deadly weapon. The judge refused to grant bail. Good. Because the judge knew his parents were just going to bail him out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm, So they didn't do it. Not only was Beth's murder and Tom's arrest big-time gossip in Nantucket, It was a media sensation all over the country, even making People Magazine's cover. Wow. Yeah, this was huge. Well, anything that happens in a fancy little town on an island for wealthy people, I could imagine that it's going to bring some headlines. Yeah. Well, for wealthy people during the summer. I don't think this town is that super ritzy kind of 
place that people think no, that it is. No, but it's a location, and so they just go there. And because it's exclusive, it's exclusive. And they exclusive have summer because, homes. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Things like that. It's like the Hamptons. Yes. Right? Yes. Except not as sprawling and grand estates. It's smaller because right. it's like a little island. Oh, that's true. That's mm-hmm. how I picture it. It's it's not the Hamptons, which is these giant, huge coastal estates. Yeah, these McMansions. That are, they're not Mick. They're just mansions. They're just mansions. Yeah. Like, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar estates and oh stuff. Oh my gosh. There's so much more you can do with that money than spend it on well, a no, stupid I mean, house. You know, if you're worth a billion, what's 30 million? It's uh, nothing. No, I know. I anyway. Just, whatever. Finance and stuff. But- I forget what I was talking about. I don't remember. Since Nantucket is such a small town, the Superior Court of Nantucket only meets two times a year. What? Yeah. Only twice a year. Dang. Which gave the prosecution plenty of time to build their case against Tom. Wow. Before the trial had even begun in September of 2006, Tom and his defense team filed a motion for a change of venue based on extensive pre-trial publicity surrounding the case. The motion was denied. Uh-huh. Now, I totally get why they why they were trying to move the trial sure. to a different area. Because how were you going to get a jury of your peers when your peers all knew the victim or right. the victim's family? I totally get it. I'm glad they weren't allowed to because Tom's a POS, but I totally understand why they're trying to get it yeah. switched to a different well, any, venue. Any defense attorney would do that. For sure. Almost right away they're going to try because it usually would work to their advantage. Yep. Tom's trial for the murder of Beth Lochtefeld began on June 4th, 2007. The prosecution went through the days leading up to the murder and the murder itself as a way of showing motive. I'm about to walk you through it. Sweet. Are you ready for this? Yep. A lot happened in a short amount of time. On Friday, October 22nd, a couple days before the murder, Beth was in Manhattan staying with Tom. So they had gotten back together after their trip to California. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. The couple had gone to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. While Beth was looking at a piece of art, Tom dropped to one knee and pulled out a box. Inside the box was an engagement ring. Beth did not say yes. Instead, she said, let me think about it. (laughs) Tom got pissed. Heck yeah. Tom was super pissed. He could not believe that Beth was not accepting his proposal right then and there. He began causing a scene in the Met. You do not cause a scene in the Met. You take that outside, sir. If he causes a scene in the Met, or anywhere for that matter, she should have said, you know, I thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought about it and no. Hell no. Beth turned and ran out the front entrance. Mm -hmm. Tom ran after her and caught up with her on the sidewalk. Witnesses saw a man, Tom, physically pushing and pulling a woman, Beth, into a cab. What? Like bystanders watching this happen. Oh, jeez. Mm. According to what Beth told her brother, after the couple got back to Tom's apartment, against her will, mind you, he somehow physically got her up to his apartment, which means there had to be people witnessing this. 
Especially a doorman. Like, he lived in a fancy so, apartment building. And there's a doorman, I'm sure. So no, And nobody did anything. So in his mind, he wants to force her to marry him and then they'll be happy? Mm. Yeah, it gets worse. Oh. Mm-hmm. Good. I don't know how, but okay. So once they were back to Tom's apartment, he began drinking heavily and threatening Beth with a gun. Oh, jeez. And he wouldn't See, let her leave the apartment. Of course not. He also sexually assaulted her. Yeah. As Tom passed out from heavily drinking, he made sure he laid across Beth's legs so she couldn't leave. What a sicko. How? Oh, okay. But if he's passed out, couldn't she just push him away or grab the gun from him? No, he was a big guy. He was a big guy, over six feet, just a big guy. And she was, she was just average on the smaller side. And he laid across her so she couldn't leave. And he passed out. So all of his weight is on her. She couldn't get him off. He's not 700 pounds. No, but he's also drunkenly passed out on her. And she doesn't want to wake him. Though. Wouldn't she want to lean over and like choke him out while he's oh, passed out God. until he stopped breathing and then yeah. go, I don't know what happened. Isn't there a place on somebody's neck you can just like push it and they die? Yeah, if you push a knife into their neck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if uh, you crush their windpipe and they're not going to breathe, uh, and then it's over. Poor thing. It, uh, anyway, sorry. Okay, so around 3 a.m., Beth was able to get out from under Tom's body and left the apartment. Oh, okay. So she got up. She did get out from under yeah. his giant heaving body. Being too, sc- being too scared to wake Tom with the elevator ping, she walked down numerous flights of stairs and out the front door. She was scared to death of him because he was threatening, I'm sure, threatening to kill her in that apartment. Okay. So she didn't even want to wake him up. She was that scared. Yeah. Beth hopped on the next flight to Nantucket and immediately went into the police station and inquired about a restraining order against Tom, but she didn't fill one out. Did they, like, take a statement from her and she tell them, hey, this is what this psychopath just did to me? She went in there and inquired about it, but because that happened in New York and she was in Nantucket, I think there was a bit of a difference. And... She's probably so shocked that the whole thing transpired. Yeah, and it was more about asking questions about what would happen if she did get a restraining order gotcha. against him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Too scared to go home, Beth spent Saturday the 23rd at her brother's home. So she had come in the morning of the 23rd, right? went to the police station, and then went to her brother's. Please tell me she told him what had happened. Yeah, that's how we know what happened. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. It was from- Well, I guess, yeah. It was from her telling her brother, that's how we know what happened. All right. What investigators were able to figure out through witnesses was that after Tom awoke from his drunken stupor and realized that Beth was not there- the rage began to build and build. And Tom once again turned to alcohol and pills, which made it worse. Tom reaching out to friends and family, threatening to hurt himself. He even called his sponsor and was threat his AA sponsor and was threatening to jump out of a 20-story building. Okay, this is a 37-year-old dude. Yeah. And he's already this screwed up? Yes. Just, oh, God. 
This is what being raised in a prominent family potentially potentially do to you. Right. Exactly. When you're given everything that you've ever wanted. He's a bit of a spoiled brat, isn't he? That's the vibe that I got from this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On Sunday, October 24th, Tom tried to board a flight from LaGuardia to Nantucket, but was stopped by airport security. Tom was trying to sneak a 10-inch bladed knife onto the plane in his suitcase. He had wrapped it up in a towel and a jacket. Uh, yeah, that's a red flag. (laughs) When questioned, Tom told them that he had forgotten it was in there and then changed his story to that his sister had asked him to bring it to cut a birthday cake. This guy is a moron. Security also remembering that Tom reeked of alcohol. He missed that flight and went home. Oh, my God. His mother and father arrived at his apartment later that day, and his mom had said that Tom was inconsolable and that his tongue was swollen. He was slurring his words, and he smelled of alcohol. At least she was honest. And they didn't feel that anything was off. Oh, no, they did. They knew he had issues. Monday, October 25th, Tom caught a morning flight into Nantucket. His plane arrived at 1045 a.m. Tom rented the Escape and drove it to a local bait and tackle shop where he purchased two shucking knives, drove over to Beth's house, and hid inside her cottage in wait. As Beth sat down at her desk to do some work, Tom attacked her, stabbing her 23 times. As Beth lay dying on the living room floor, Tom cleaned himself up, found the items, and put them on her body, and then left. Tom returned the rental car and caught a 1 p.m. flight to Hyannis, Massachusetts. At 1.21, he was seen renting another car to drive back to New York City. Jeez. So that's the timeline. What the prosecution was trying to prove was that Tom premeditated the murder and was of sound mind. They showed the jury CCTV footage inside the airport of Tom renting the car and walking around. He was stable and seemed sober. The woman who was behind the counter at the car rental kiosk said that Tom seemed lucid and was not intoxicated. So did the cashier at the bait and tackle shop. Oh, boy. The defense had another tactic. They were not going to deny that Tom did it. Actually, they basically said he was guilty of Beth's murder. But Tom was suffering from a profound frontal executive dysfunction disorder, which meant that he could not control his impulses and could be aggressive. Adding all the alcohol and drugs Tom took on a regular basis, this was a perfect storm of non-executive function and an inability to control one's emotions. If he could not control his emotions and impulses, then he was not criminally responsible for his actions. Basically, he was insane at the time of Beth's brutal murder. He had just snapped. Um, wow. Okay. That's why you hire very expensive attorneys. I disagree. With what I just said? No. Oh. The fact that he should be not guilty because it's not his fault. Right. 
Another witness that got up on the stand said that Tom was also suffering from dementia, psychosis, and depression at the time of the murder. But this what? is this is also a therapist who was paid by the defense. So dementia, dementia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the appeal documents, I found. The defense said that Tom was not responsible due to brain damage and mental illness caused by his addiction that was exasperated by his ingestion of alcohol and drugs the day he murdered Beth. So once again, it was not Tom's fault. So if you are completely out of control and you take drugs and alcohol, then you can get away with anything? Is that their defense? Basically. Or that it wasn't premeditated. He had just snapped. So that it was more, wait, it was just a crime of passion or murder too. It wasn't premeditated first degree murder is I think what they were trying to do was to get him a lower sentence. Wow. Tom's mom took the stand. Aw, not sweet. No. (laughs) Can't even imagine what she's going to say. She told the jury that Tom has had a problem with drugs and alcohol since he was 13 years old. What what the hell's she done about it? He would drink a fifth of vodka most days just to function. Okay, last time I checked, a 13-year-old could not walk into a liquor store or grocery store and buy vodka. So who was supplying him with this vodka at 13 years old? Well, he asked for it, and he said he'd be so upset if I didn't give it to him, so I gave it to him. And then I bought him a pony. No, but seriously, 13 years old. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I know there's ways you could get it. I mean, he was probably getting it from his parents' liquor cabinet. Okay, so they should have checked him into some sort of facility. Or military school. I don't think they'd take him. Straighten his ass up, man. Doubt it. Tom had been diagnosed with severe depression and OCD. Okay. And then? So what? Yeah. Okay, Okay, so if the parents know he's dangerous... Then they're negligent, not having him institutionalized, basically. Yeah. Because you're essentially having a crazy person loose on the streets. That's what they're saying. Oh, well, he's always been crazy. That's what you got from this, huh? That's what. I, that's kind of what I got from it, much, too. Yeah. yeah. And you've just heard it once, and I've, I've read like millions of things about this. Yeah. But that's what I got from yeah, this. that's what I got out of it immediately. Yeah. Tom had also attempted suicide in the late 80s. I bet. Tom's parents paid for rehab several times starting in 1999. Okay, but 1999 was only five years before the murder. Right. So he was in his 30s when they're paying for him to go to rehab. Wow. Seems like it was a little late, right? A little bit. Okay, so we are not the best of parents. We don't sit here and say that we have the perfect marriage, we have the perfect family, we have the perfect kids. We are just... Trying to keep our head above water, right? Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trying to so, keep our kids alive. Yes. That's about it. But let me tell you, if our kids were drinking vodka at 13 years old, trying to numb themselves, we would take responsibility for that. Yeah. That would be on us. There'd be some interesting for sure. repercussions. Yes. And it wouldn't just be our kid going in for help. It would be us going in for help, too, because there's something that we were doing wrong as parents. Right. Yeah. Dang. I know. Tom also battled a prescription drug habit. Of course he did. He took anything and everything. Xanax, Clonopin, Celexa, 
benzos, methamphetamines, Paxil, and Zoloft. Good Lord. He would even get canine tranquilizers for his dog and then take those. So, wow. So he is really messed up. He has a horrific drug addiction. I actually agree with the defense in that he has something severely wrong with him, even as a child. Yes, there are some definite frontal lobe issues going on. Okay, here's my butt. Okay, butt. My big butt. All right. My big butt is you also started out saying that he's very, he was great with jobs. Like he could go get an awesome job. He could, he was great getting the job, but he sucked at keeping the job. Because of his uh, alcohol and drug issue. Yeah. If he's so screwed up, how's he even, how's he able to get the job? Maybe he's a great interviewer, or maybe he got jobs at all the places that his parents knew the owners. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I think this goes, uh, some of this is going back on the parents. Uh Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, sorry. Sorry, parents. Yeah. When Tom was arrested for driving under the influence, his blood alcohol level when they tested him was twice the legal limit. Okay. A forensic toxicologist testified that after doing some complex math calculations, he believes that at the time of the murder, Tom's blood alcohol level was at least 0.30. 0. 0.30 is above confusion and into the stupor phase. Yeah, but he's also a professional alcoholic. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. So he knows how to handle himself being drunker than we've probably ever been in our entire lives. Yeah, probably. He can still function, whereas we would be in the bushes. Yes. And I have been in bushes before. (laughs) Yeah. What is it with bushes and drunk people? Do they just attract each other? I don't know. I'm going over here in the bushes. <laughs> Maybe we think crash. they're going to hold us up. They don't. They don't. No. And you get cut in weird places. Anyways, moving on. Wow. Prosecution argued that Tulin could not be considered insane at the time of the murder since he showed full cognitive function in planning the murder, then trying to cover it up. Yes. So he went into that bathroom and washed his hands. So he was trying to cover it up. So it's not like he did it and then sat there in it and just sat there until they found him. Yes. Like in a crazed, like stupor, just totally out of it. And right. And didn't know what was going on. Right. Like sitting in the couch, rocking back and forth as right. the police showed up. Yeah. He, he figured out he could fly back. Yeah. He went and returned the rental car, bought a plane ticket and got on a plane. Wow. I mean, he knew what he was doing. I couldn't have done that. There's no way. Not even 100% sober could I have done that. And then he takes love notes and poetry and spreads them around the house and then goes and gets a toy and lube and sprinkles marijuana over her body just to humiliate her one last time. Wow. Is really what people say is his reasoning for doing that. Is he he wanted to humiliate her. Hmm. It's kind of childish. It's very childish. That's all I can say. It's like, uh, okay. Like, really? I'm mad at you. I'm going to go grab your toy and some lube right. and a little bit of pot. And I'm going to put it out so everybody can see it. Because yeah. I'm a man baby. 
He is definitely a man baby, that's for Ugh, sure. Gosh. I see. Don't you want to grab him by the balls and just twist him? No, I don't wanna no, I don't want to touch his balls. That's gross. Okay. Do you want to punch him in the face? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I want him um, You I'm punch him. him in the face. I wanna hurt his ball sack. All right, here we go. I want to throw him out of a moving vehicle at a high rate of speed. That's what I would want to do. Yeah. To be honest, I'm sorry. Out of a plane without a parachute. Okay. The trial lasted for almost two weeks. On June 21st, 2007, Tom was found guilty of the first degree murder of Beth Lochtefeld. Minutes after the verdict, the judge sentenced Thomas Tulin III to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Tom has appealed his conviction twice, and each time it has been denied. Now, what he keeps appealing on is the fact that the venue where the trial was located, because he and his defense don't believe that he got a fair trial because of all the media attention and Uh because it was very hard to find anybody that did not know the Lochtefelds personally. Yeah, I'm pretty sure wherever he was... The trial, they'd still find him guilty. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah, sorry, dude. Like, you totally did it. They caught you you on camera acting completely sober. So come on. Even an appeal is what? Would win him a new trial? It would win him a new trial, and then he could possibly be convicted of a lesser charge, like manslaughter or murder too, or I don't know if there's crime of passion in Massachusetts, but then you would get the old, 20 years. The old COP. COP cop. Yep, the old cop job. <laughs> After Tom was sentenced, Beth's sister shared a statement from the Lochtefeld family. And okay. I need to share this because it's beautiful. All right, good. Our grief was sharp, intense, palpable, and difficult to bear. We do not rejoice that Mr. Tulin's parents have, for all intent, lost their son, just as our parents have lost their daughter. Yet we are relieved that this troubled and vengeful and dangerous man can never, never harm another person. Amen. Beautiful. That's it. Yeah. Perfectly written. Except I would have blamed his parents. But, you know, that's just me. That's just the immaturity of Melissa. I think the parents were embarrassed that they had a son like that. Oh, I'm sure. So they're in denial of course, and they could afford to be in denial. Mm. I mean, if you think about that, if you're poorer, meaning you're less wealthy, mm-hmm. you have to actually deal with stuff. So if you have money, it's good, but it's also bad because in some ways it allows you to kind of hide mm. stuff that you, do, that you don't want to face or even admit. That's true. That you essentially have a failure as a son. Mm-hmm. And you know deep down that he's always going to be a failure, probably. That's I mean, as a as a dad, that's what I'm thinking. It's like mm. you have to, in the back of your mind, just be miserable and go, I think my son's going to kill someone someday. Or like, what did we do right. wrong? Where did we steer this child wrong? Right. So the only thing you could do is go, maybe, well, maybe if we're nice, or maybe we do this, or maybe right. we do that. I'm going to call my friend. Down at the stock yeah. exchange, he's and a, I'm going to see if he can get him a job. He's a loser, so I'm going to see if I can just somehow manufacture his prosperity. Yeah. you It doesn't usually work out. I mean, I feel there is a part of me that feels bad for Tom's parents. Yeah. But 
more of me feels horrible for Beth's family. And that's what we need to focus on, on Beth's family, and that they lost such a light in their family. And trying to go on after something like that, I just can't imagine. And she has lots of nieces and nephews and just... And her family is still in Nantucket. Wow. Like her parents are still in Nantucket. Her dad's still an artist and all that stuff. That's got to be tough every day having reminders. Yeah. Or drive past the area or the house. Right. Because it's small. So Every time you board a plane, you're like, oh, that jack off that murdered my daughter. Yep. Was in the same terminal. Oh, I'm so sorry, Beth's family. Yeah, I'm that's really, awful. really sorry. It's horrible. But I do have a fun fact. You ready for a fun fact? Oh, good. Yes, please. A book by Beth was published after her death. It was published by her family. It's a book of her father's artwork, including some writings by Beth. It's called Tell Me About Your Dreams. Oh. Yeah. That's cool. So that was her goal when she moved to Nantucket was to get a book published of her father's artwork. That's awesome. And so the family went ahead and did it. So that's really, really cool. So I did find the book on Amazon. Go check it out. This is my final. I'm a very visual person. Okay. Which is why I think we should do this naked. (laughs) Um, You could not concentrate. I picture Nantucket as the town from the Truman Show. Yes. Okay. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Like Like, a little mixture. Like that. Yeah. Like this perfect little utopian kind of island on the edge of the water, just like in the Truman Show. Yeah, except it's surrounded by water. So was the Truman Show. Oh, that's true, because he couldn't leave. Yep. Oh, duh. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's, let's put in the Truman Show, and then let's put in Amity. From Jaws. Yeah. Mix those two together. You got a um, Nantucket baby. Yeah. All right. I'm picturing it. I got it. I really would love to go to Nantucket, actually. The pictures now I that do. I saw. Yeah. Just looks beautiful and sounds beautiful. And the people. Oh, my gosh. The people sound amazing. The locals. Yeah. Just when they're interviewed. And the I watched a couple things on it. No, just the oh. locals. Just yeah. the cool locals who own the shops and who who do things around the island. I don't know. It just sounds really cool. So, hey, Nantucket, we'll come see ya. We'll see you soon. When gas prices go down. Because <laughs> we can't afford it right now. <laughs> we cannot afford to drive from Bakersfield to Nantucket. Oh, God, we would not drive. <laughs> well, then what does gas prices have to do with it? Because we're poor because okay. of gas prices. <laughs> we can't afford to drive to the airport. <laughs> take the flight. That's oh it. goodness gracious oh lord have mercy i know well a lot of my information came from articles there is a book on this case i'm sorry i didn't read it go check that out i don't have any information on it i just know that there is a book there is a dateline episode that i did not watch <laughs> So go check that one out. Yes. And there is a show that i did watch and it's called sin and secrets oh That was pretty good. Cool. But that's where all my information came from, which you guys really don't care. Because when I listen to other podcasts, I don't care where they got their information. No. Tell me the story. Because. I trust you. They want you to do it. Yes. That's your job, It is my job. It is my part-time job. 
We keep forgetting to tell all of you that we are on Instagram. So come check us out on Instagram. I um, get Daniel in awkward situations where I don't tell him I'm going to film him and then I film him and then he hates it. It's annoying because it's usually at the worst (laughs) possible time. Like first thing in the morning and I'm trying to make coffee or something and she's like, oh, hey, honey, come here. We're going to film for Instagram. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And then he goes, well, what's Instagram? Yeah, what's Instagram? (laughs) So we're on Instagram and it's Till Death Do Us Part podcast. What else? Is there anything else? Um, I think there is a be careful. Okay. Be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. (laughs) Bye. Bye.